The Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. Thank you for being here with us. So excited. It's good to be able to come together at Connect, um, and I'm pumped for uh, what we have from Mark tonight. So, um, to begin, I, I want to start with a little-known fact about me. It's a fact that most people will miss uh, when they first meet me. It's, it's kind of just some trivia about me, but I'm a huge nerd. Most people miss that. I think between the philosophy degree, uh, between the board game collection, between making all the dad jokes, people just miss it a lot of the time. So it's just, it's just good to know that I'm a nerd. The reason that's important to start tonight is because I'm also a huge Bible nerd. And so we're starting in a very Bible nerdy way. Uh, so if you're a Bible nerd, well, you're in the right place. Congrats. If you're not, bear with me. I promise you two things. Number one, I promise that it'll be brief. And number two, I promise that it's going gonna, it's gonna to tie in in a minute. So just, just, just bear with me. Uh, so, in the ancient Near East, which by the way, there's not a better way to start a sentence than in the ancient Near East, but in the ancient Near East, which is the culture that the Israelites uh, became a nation, it's the culture that shaped and formed um, their, their, um, their kind of uh, cultural uh, details, it's the ones that kind of shaped who they were, it's where they, they were kind of founded as a nation. Um, in the ancient Near East, uh, and all the different religions that were competing with uh, the religion of Judaism, uh, it was a very popular idea. Um, that the um, that the sea was a place of great chaos. The sea was a place of evil. It was a place of uncertainty. So, for instance, in Babylon, um, their uh, god king, whose name was Marduk, um, he had this great battle after he created the earth. The, the, these monsters came up out of the sea. These people who were there came up out of the sea, and uh, they started trying to throw the earth into utter chaos. Right? They were trying to plunge the earth to be covered in these chaotic ocean waters of evil. Um, and, uh, and Marduk, you know, ties up this dragon in the net, and he, like, kills it, and I think he, like, blows a hurricane into its mouth, and it just, like, destroys this dragon, right? It's the classic, like, mythology, like, super uh, overly aggressive kind of stuff. But anyways, it, it's common all throughout Babylon, through Assyria, through the Hittites, through all these different places and people. Um, they all have this idea, this conception, that the sea was this place of chaos and this place of evil, this place of uncertainty. And it's also true in the Israelite religion as well. If you remember, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. But the second verse is that the earth was formless and void, and waters cover the face of the earth. And over the next seven days, what God does is he, he separates the waters and slowly begins to make order out of the chaos. The two verses that we had read were examples of, of people talking about God's control over the ocean, this place that's chaotic, this place that's uncertain, this place that's often associated with evil. God separates the chaos, and out of the chaos, he brings this order. He brings a beautiful creation that thrives and is sustained by his grace and his love. And so, just it's, it's important to understand, though, that the sea in the minds of the ancient Israelites and the Israelites of Jesus' day would have been seen as this chaotic, this evil, this almost primordial and ancient place of chaos and darkness. Um, and the reason that's important is because the backdrop for our whole story tonight in the Gospel of Mark takes place on the sea. Just keep in mind as we go through our story tonight that these are the associations they have with being on the sea. These are the things they think about 
in their current set of circumstances. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. And this is what we read. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So in this story, there are three different things that happen, right? So Jesus' reaction to the storm is the first part of the story. The apostles' reaction to the storm is the second part of the story. And then the last part of the story is Jesus' reaction to the disciples. And so what I want to do is I want to start at the end and we're going to work our way backwards through the text and see how this applies, what Jesus says, how Jesus handles the storm, how he talks to the apostles and the disciples, how that changes and affects the way that we view storms in our lives. So, verse 39. He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Right? And so again, the sea is this place of, of chaos, this, this primordial ancient force of evil and darkness and chaos that causes destruction. And, and here Jesus kind of plays into the idea that it's a spiritual space of darkness and evil. Because he says to the waves, he, he rebukes the wind and the waves and says, quiet and be still. He doesn't say this to the wind and the waves. He doesn't uh, you know, he's not asking of the wind and the waves, he doesn't command it. He uses, he uses the word rebuke. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And there's only one other cast of characters that Jesus has rebuked in the entire Gospel of Mark. Does anybody know which kind of characters those are? Absolutely. Yes, the demons. I heard a lot of answers, but demons was the primary <laughs> one. So we're going to ignore the others. Uh, so the demons are the primary characters that Jesus rebukes, right? Which implies here that he's using that same language. It's, it's the same sort of spiritual forces of evil and darkness that Jesus sees stirring up the wind and the waves. And whether that's the, the evil and the darkness that's a result of sin's curse and the fallen nature of our world, whether it's as a result of that, or whether it's directly some sort of dark spiritual force, some sort of demon that's stirring up the waters of chaos to pour over the apostles, no matter what it is, Jesus stands in the storm and rebukes the spiritual forces of darkness that cause the chaos and the evil to be poured over the boat. So he, he stands up, he rebukes those waves, he says, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. The word there, completely, um, is the same word in Greek that gets used to describe the storm originally, right? So whenever it says uh, in verse 37, a furious squall came up, that word furious is the same word as completely calm. So Mark is saying, he's, he's doing this genius thing in the text where he says, it's this furious storm that pops up, right? This furious storm, but then afterwards it's replaced by a furious type of calm. It's this complete type of storm that's all-encompassing. Mark struggles to find the words to describe the severity, the disastrous nature of the storm. And it's, it's replaced by this complete calm, this complete sense of calmness when Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. We're going to skip verse 40 for just a second and come right back. Verse 41, after he does this, quiet be still, it says, They, the apostles, were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? 
even the wind and the waves obey him. It's kind of a weird reaction to be terrified after Jesus does the display of power, right? It seems like they're out of the woods. Like the storm is the dangerous part. Jesus calms the winds and the waves, and then they should be more relaxed. But Jesus, the, the, the apostles are still very afraid. They're even, it seems, more afraid than they were in the first place. And the reason is because in the minds of the apostles, there's only one person that has authority over the wind and the waves. In the mind of the apostles, there's only one person who has the ability to calm the ancient, primordial, chaotic, evil forces in this world. There's only one character who fits the bill in the Old Testament, in the Jewish Bible, of who has the power to calm the storm and the winds. And it's God. It's the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. It's Yahweh God, the God who led them out of Exodus in Egypt and brought them back from the exile. That God is the only one who has the power and the authority to calm the wind and the waves. And Jesus has that same power. Jesus has the same power as Yahweh, the God of Israel, flesh incarnate on this earth. He has that same power. And the reaction all throughout the Bible, whenever people view and witness the power of God on display, the fullness of his glory and majesty, and the things he can do, every time in the, in the Old Testament when people experience God, the reaction is always fear. There's something about it that's so grand, that's, that's so impressive and so large, that whenever they encounter that, the natural response is fear. And I think that's what we see here happening. I wish we had time to really dive into why that response is fear, what Jesus is doing here, and how it changes in the person of Jesus, but, but we don't. So if you're interested in that, you can talk to me after. But they have this fear, and they see the power that Jesus has, and they, they, they lead, it leads them to this question that we've been wrestling with so far this semester. They ask, who is this? Who is this Jesus guy? The same question that we've been asking this semester today, who is this Jesus guy that he has the power of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Yahweh, God, the God who led, led us out of Egypt and back from the exile? Who is this Jesus that he has that power? So the end of this story is an amazing thing that Jesus does. He rebukes the wind and the waves. He shows his power and his authority. But, but right in the middle, he rebukes the apostles as well. And this is what he says. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? This uh, story is going to kick off three stories, including this one. And, and all of them are about faith. The next few uh, things we're going to go through in, in the Gospel of Mark, it's talking about what is faith. How does Jesus define faith? What does Jesus view as faith? And, and, and right off the bat here, we get something really interesting. It's the interplay between faith and fear. I think a lot of times when we think about faith, our, our idea that the, is the opposite of faith is doubt, right? To doubt is the opposite of faith. You can't, you can't have doubt and faith at the same time. But I don't, I don't think that's true. I've known a couple of people. There's one person in particular who I really admire as a pillar of faith to me. He's, he's this, this uh, amazing disciple of Jesus. He's a profound man of faith. And yet he often struggles with doubt in a very real way. It's just the nature of who he is as a person. He, he has this tendency to be a little bit skeptical. And so he wrestles with doubt more than most. And yet, he still is one of the most faithful Christians I've ever met. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith, what Jesus tells us here, is that it's fear. You can doubt and have faith at the same time. But Jesus seems to be saying, why are you so afraid? 
don't you have any faith? In other words, if you had faith, you wouldn't have this fear. Or the inverse, when you have this fear, you can't have faith. Jesus sets up faith and fear as this opposition. And so he tells them, or he asks them, why are you afraid? And I think we have a, a, a favorite pastime, at least I do. It's really fun and easy to make fun of the apostles in the Gospel of Mark, right? Like they're they're oftentimes portrayed as these people who just don't get it. They're missing the picture of who Jesus is constantly. They seem really confused. They do a lot of dumb things. Even here, Jesus has a nickname for them. It's, it's almost better translated, why are you so afraid? Or later when he says, oh, ye of little faith, it's almost like you little faithers. He gives them this fun little nickname. It's like kind of rude, but but uh, even Mark seems to be a fan of bullying the apostles, and I think we, we jump on that train to make fun of them a little bit, but just for a second, let's back up to that second part in the story, and put yourself in the shoes of the apostles. Remember what Jesus asked him, he said, why are you so afraid? Do you not have faith? Just hang on to that, and let's put ourselves in the shoes of the apostles. So the apostles were from this area. They grew up, most of them as fishermen, sailing on this very lake. All right, this isn't their first time on the Sea of Galilee. This probably isn't their first time in a storm. They used to do this for a living, or at the very least, they grew up around this area, so they know what the Sea of Galilee is like. The apostles aren't just worrying needlessly here. They're not just overly anxious. They're not just a slight concern. Maybe when they start sailing, everything's fine, and the storm starts to build up. And at first it's fine. They kind of keep going, and then the storm gets worse. They're a little nervous, and then the storm gets worse and worse and worse and they really begin to worry and it's not because they're overly sensitive it's not because they're prone to panic but it's because they know enough to realize this kind of storm is the life or death kind of storm this kind of storm is the one where if you get caught in it your boat can sink and you can die the threat is very real here it's a situation of life and death and and what we see is that they they begin to almost panic. They have this fear. You can imagine them almost bailing the, the water out of the ship, right? The person who's steering, trying to uh, steer in such a way they go over the waves instead of having them crash over the top of them. Maybe they start looking for land where if the boat starts to sink, maybe they can make it to the land before they drown and get consumed by these waves. It's a very terrifying situation. And in the midst of all this chaos, they're, they're striving to find a way to, to make it to safe ground and survive this horrendous encounter with the chaotic forces of evil in the form of the sea. As they're going through all of this, you might look over, and as you're bailing out water, you, know, you notice Jesus asleep in the front of the boat. This Jesus who you gave everything up to follow. This Jesus who you changed your whole life to follow. This Jesus who you sacrificed everything for, who was supposed to be this great leader, a leader great enough to be able to take you to conquer Rome and restore Israel as a great nation state. And in this moment of crisis, Jesus isn't giving orders. He isn't coming up with a solution. Jesus is sleeping in the storm, and you, you can't help yourself. The sarcasm creeps into your voice as you wake Jesus up and says, Teacher, don't you care that we are drowning? Jesus, don't you care that I am dying? And Jesus' response is, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Something about the story, the first part of the story, Jesus thinks the apostles should have been able to see something that gave them faith over their fear. Something about the way that Jesus handles the storm in this situation is supposed to give them faith over their fear. Or should I say, something about the way Jesus is handling the storms in the situation is supposed to give them faith. You see, Jesus of Nazareth in this story is at the center of several different types of storms. The first one is this storm in the middle of the chaotic 
powers of evil in the form of the sea. He's in the middle of that storm. But if you'll remember in the context of this gospel, he's also in the middle of the storm as he faces off against the religious leaders of his day. He's been excommunicated from the synagogues, not allowed to go in. He's in the middle of a storm with the Romans and the Herodians. They've begun to plot about how to kill him. He's in the middle of a storm as he faces off against the demonic hosts in form of, of demon-possessed people and sickness and brokenness that he encounters. Jesus is at the center of many different storms. And you know, if you'll, if you'll notice, he has a posture of complete calm. The total absence of any chaotic forces of evil. Jesus is completely calm in the midst of all these storms. And it's not that Jesus has misevaluated the situation, right? It's not that Jesus doesn't understand how deadly a storm on the Sea of Galilee can be. He knows the sea and the waves better than the apostles do. He has authority over them. It's not that he's misevaluated the situation. When it comes to the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Romans, it's not that he's misevaluated the seriousness of that situation. Jesus knows that he's going to go to Jerusalem and face many abuses. Jesus knows he's going to go to Jerusalem and die. And when it comes to the demonic forces in this world, Jesus hasn't misevaluated the situation. He knows that the hosts of hell are staunchly opposed to his mission, and every chance they get, they will slow him down or trip him up or do anything they can to make him fail. Jesus has not misevaluated the situation. But the reason that Jesus is completely calm is that he understands that in his person, all around him, breaks in the kingdom of God. All around him, everywhere he goes, breaks in the kingdom of God. In the midst of the primeval, chaotic waters, the forces of evil that overtake the apostles, Jesus knows that in the presence of the kingdom of God, he can rebuke the wind and the waves, the brokenness of this creation, the broken evil forces that are opposed to him. He can rebuke them, and they must be still. He knows that when he goes to Jerusalem and suffers many things, and when he is put on a cross and crucified, he knows that because the kingdom of God breaks in around him, he will be raised to new life. And because the kingdom of God breaks in around him, he knows that the spiritual forces of evil stand no chance in their opposition to him. It's not that Jesus has misevaluated the situation, it's that he is fully aware of the fact that the kingdom of God is breaking in around him everywhere he goes. The apostles, too, don't misevaluate the situation. They know the storm is deadly. They know that they are about to die. They know this kind of stuff is very serious. The waves are crashing over the boat, and it's about to sink. They haven't misevaluated the situation. What they've missed is the power of the person sitting in their boat. And guys, this is such an applicable passage, and this is why. Every single person sitting on this deck, every single one of you, has gone, will go through, or is going through a storm right now. Every single person sitting on this deck has gone, is going through, or will go through a storm in life. There are storms of identity that you will go through. Some of you may be here tonight, and, and you, you came to college 
with all these expectations of, of what kind of grades you would get. And you came to college with all these kind of expectations of the kind of things you would get to be involved in and the kind of things you would get to do. You came to college with all these plans of, of this is going to be a major and, and I'm going to do these things. I'm going to get this kind of job and everything's going to work out great. Some of you came with a significant other and in the midst of college you, you broke up with that person. Some of you came with all these different senses of identities and plans and, and placing all these different things and something has happened to derail that sense of identity that you found in those things. And in the midst of that storm, you've correctly evaluated that that's dangerous. You've correctly evaluated that's problematic. You've correctly evaluated that when you lose your identity, it is terrifying and affects every aspect of your life. That's, that's completely correct. But don't miss the power of the person sitting in your boat. Respond in faith rather than fear. Instead of finding other things to place your identity into, instead of finding another significant other, instead of choosing another major, instead of doubling down on studying to get better grades, all those things are great, but, but don't respond in fear and say, that's where I'll find my identity. If I just studied harder and made better grades, if I could just find the right person to date, if I could just find the right major that fits me, if I could just get to the right job, don't put your identity in that. Don't respond in faith as you feel your identity slip away. Respond in faith. Leaning into the person of Jesus, rooting your identity and who you are in something that is far more secure than you could find anywhere else. You've correctly evaluated when you feel a loss of identity in the future, if you lose your job or lose passion for the work that you're doing or feel confused about who you are and what you're doing, you've correctly evaluated that as a dangerous and terrifying situation that you don't want to be in, but don't miss the power of the person sitting in the boat. Some of you here have gone through storms of addiction. Some people are, are sitting on this deck, are, are currently caught up in a storm of addiction, whether it be to, to lust in the form of pornography, whether it be to alcohol or drugs, whether it be to your phone. Some of you are currently caught up in a storm of addiction where you reach out to things to cover the pain that you feel. You have a phone that you constantly go to repeatedly, to, to social media, you, you text friends and things like that. And, and every time you go, you feel a certain way and you leave feeling worse. Some of you are caught in a storm of addiction as you sit here on this deck. And you've correctly identified that is a deadly thing. That is a serious situation. The waves are crashing over the boat and it may feel like you can't escape and that you're gasping for breath. You've correctly identified that is a serious situation, but don't miss the power of the person sitting in your boat. Respond in faith instead of fear. Don't try to summon your own self-will. Don't try to determine that you're going to be different this time, that you're going to get over it this time, that it's based on your strength and if you just power through or have the right strategy or just ignore it, it'll go away. Don't Use fear. But respond in faith. In the midst of that situation, when you are weak, lean into Jesus for his strength. In the midst of that situation, when you are weak, go to the person in your prayer group. Come to me or Ben or Elise. Go to that person and let them know what you're wrestling with. And I know it's terrifying. I know it's scary. But have faith instead of fear. Some of you are going through storms a family. Some of you have or are or going to go through this storm. Maybe you've lost a parent. Maybe your home's been torn apart by divorce. Some of you have been are going to go through 
all of us will go through some storm like that. And you've correctly evaluated that that is a horrible situation. You've correctly evaluated that that is the, the work of primeval chaos and evil and disorder at work in the worst of ways. A loved one being ripped away from you, a family, the thing that should be most sacred being torn apart. You've correctly identified that is a situation that is desperate and dark. But don't miss the power of the person sitting in your boat. Don't respond in fear as you try to cover up the fact that you're okay. Don't respond in fear as you push away the help of other people. Don't respond in fear as you try to cover up or, or, or disregard the things that you feel, but instead respond in faith as you mourn in a way that is responsible. Instead respond in faith as you lean into the power and the person of Jesus. And again, a lot of people go through this and experience moments of doubt. Where was God? Why did this happen? Why are these things happening to me? Remember this, the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. In the midst of those storms, wrestle with your doubt, but wrestle in a way that's faithful. Don't respond in fear, but respond in faith. Here's the thing, every person sitting on this deck, Maybe you've been through a storm. Maybe you're currently going through a storm. But I guarantee you this. This I am 100% sure of. Every person sitting on this deck will go through a storm in their life. Every single person. And it's not that you've misevaluated the situation. But what you need to understand is the power of the person sitting in your boat. Just two, two caveats I, really, I want to point out really quickly. And then we're going to talk about how we do this and, and then we'll be done. The first one is, notice that in this story, God and Jesus are not the ones who bring the storm upon the boat. God and Jesus are the ones who rebuke the wind and the waves. That's just important to know. We serve a God who is loving, who is gracious, and who is kind. God is not the cause of the storms in this story or in your life, but the one who rebukes them. And the second thing is this. Don't go through those storms alone. Um, this, this story uh, is, is um, very difficult and challenging, right? It, sound, it sounds really good. Don't, don't respond in fear. Respond in faith. In those storms and in those crises, crises, lean into the power and the person of Jesus in faith over fear. All, all that is great and true, but, but here's the question, how do you do that? And the answer is, it's through a relationship with Jesus. It's the thing we return to over and over again, week in and week out. The truth is, how you do this is a relationship with Jesus. And we see it play out in this story here, right? The apostles are currently going through a storm, and while they may not handle this one in the way that they should, while they might lean into fear over faith, they're going to face storms far more dangerous and deadly than this one. All the people in this story, in this boat, face storms far worse than this one. Most of them will be killed for what they believe and do in the name of Jesus. They're going to face storms far worse than this one. And in the future, 
when they encounter those storms, they respond with the utmost faith instead of fear. And the difference is, they came to know who the person sitting in their boat was. The difference is they came to understand who Jesus was. It was a relationship with Jesus. And guys, the same thing is true for us today. It works the same way with us. I've been through two traumatic events in my life. When I was really young, uh, my parents went through a divorce, and, and, and I responded in fear and not in faith. It was a storm that I had no idea how to handle. I correctly assessed the situation was dark. I correctly assessed the primeval forces of chaos and evil were working to do something dark and horrendous. I correctly assessed it was a bad situation, and I responded in all the wrong ways. I sought to put my identity, I sought to cope with my distress, I sought to cope with my depression in all the wrong places. I, I saw my identity in grades, or I tried to become popular, or I tried to be the funniest person in the room, or, or I tried to tell myself I was the most intelligent, and that was the thing that set me apart. I, I tried to do all these different coping mechanisms. I went through bouts of depression, and over and over again, I responded in fear as I reached for whatever I could. I, I ferociously tried to bail out the boat on my own over and over again, and for a long time, suffered over and over and over again in the midst of this storm, having no clue what to do. And then I came uh, to a place much like this one. I went to Auburn and, and got to go to the Auburn Christian Student Center, and there I encountered the person of Jesus. There I was able to grow in a deep and robust relationship with him. There I was able to meet a community that was shaped and formed by that person of Jesus. He changed the way I thought about my life. He changed the way I thought about what I wanted to do. He changed the way that I approached people. He changed the way that I approached money. He changed the way that I viewed everything. I grew a deep, close, personal relationship with the person of Jesus and with the people that have been shaped by him. And then I, I left Auburn. And the next two years after that were some of the hardest I've ever gone through. And I don't say this to be overdramatic, and I don't say it to garner sympathy, but I'm not kidding you when I tell you I was caught in a storm and I was taking water over the side. And almost every single day for a year, I woke up and struggled for each breath, caught in the middle of a storm that wouldn't seem to end. Each day, the difficulties and the brokenness and the hurt and the wounds that I experienced in the midst of this storm were reminded to me over and over and over again. In the midst of this storm, I lived through it over and over and over again. And yet this time, it was different. This time, I knew the power of the person that was sitting in that boat. I, I don't. I, I think a lot of times when people go through these kind of storms, they can tell you, "Oh, just just have more faith. Just believe a little bit stronger. Just you know, just eating the stomach to just keep going." It's not anything like that. I, I developed a genuine and deep relationship with the person of Jesus and the people who have been shaped by Him. Somehow, I had a peace that passed all understanding. Somehow, I had a hope that went beyond. What I knew. I knew that there was a trajectory. I knew that there was a direction, even in the midst of the storm, that Jesus would come in to a life that was completely broken by the primeval forces of chaos and evil as they assaulted and assailed me from every side. And I knew he would rebuke it and make it calm. Um, I 
and again, I, I don't say this to garner sympathy. I don't want your take-home point to be about me, but the reason I say it is because you are sitting in a very special moment. Those of you who are freshmen have four more years of moments like these. Those of you who are seniors have one more year of moments that are like these. And, and, and as you sit here, you develop a relationship with the person of Jesus. As you sit here in a safe harbor, surrounded by a robust view of the person of Jesus, surrounded by a community that is shaped and formed by the person of Jesus, as you sit here, you have been given a beautiful gift by God to grow into a deep and mature relationship with the person of Jesus, to be given relationships that are shaped and informed by Him. And as you do that, as you build that understanding of who Jesus is, as you come to love the person of Jesus, as you come to know people who are shaped by him and allow them to inform your life, the transformation that he makes will be amazing. But he also will begin to equip you to weather the storms that you're going to go through after this. Every single person sitting here on this deck, you're going to go through a storm at some point. And right now, as you sit here in this moment and the moments to come, you have been given a beautiful gift by God to come to know the power of the person sitting in In just a minute, um, we're going to split up into groups. And uh, this, this week's going to be a little bit different. We don't have a specific discussion question, but we're going to start practicing what we talked about tonight. Just split up into your groups, and what's one thing that you could have a person pray over in your life? What's one thing that you feel like maybe an area of difficulty or storm, practice being open and vulnerable and honest, because guys, I'll tell you, in the difficulties that I went through, the first people that I called and talked to were the people that I sat in the room with like this. These relationships are invaluable. 